Hi, welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly culture and news podcast about the most interesting mile high city between 5279 and 5281. This week, we are going to be talking about the pay raise and the Denver mayor's race, the Pueblo nuclear plant controversy in the wake of Japan's nuclear crisis, and the bizarre link between the Denver International Airport and close encounters of the third kind. It's just uh, I, Jared Jakang Mayor, and Joel Warner today in the pod. We are. Uh, it's the VIP pod today. It's very, just a really special, special folks yeah, today that's on the, the podcast. Very, very important people. It's, it's the double V's. John Dicker is uh, on baby duty, apparently, according to his text, latest text message. So, Joel, are we going to be able to hold down all of these um, very important topics? See, I think, honestly, I think everyone else has been, has been holding us back. So I think really? now the true the true power of a Denver diatribe will finally be unleashed. Okay, well that's today. that's that, that's a tall order. Uh, and for our first topic, it is something that uh, a lot of people have been scratching their heads about in the political world here in Denver. It has to do with a recent vote by the Denver City Council to raise rates of the uh, elected leadership by six percent. And the head scratching part of it is that. Two of the people, two of the city council members that voted for this pay increase are actually running for uh, the mayor's position. That would be Michael Hancock and Doug Linkhart. Another person who's running for the mayor's position, Carol Boygan, on the city council voted against it. And Joel, what what, what has the reaction been among uh, political observers about this particular vote? From what I've read, I, a lot of people have said this is a really bad political move. Some people have said, especially for Doug Linkhart, who was already kind of in the background to begin with, uh, this might have been his last best shot at kind of recovering, and now he might be out for good. I, w- I mean, one of the big arguments that I've seen is the fact that this race has been so boring to begin with that most most of the candidates have, have been focusing on balancing the city budget. Right. Well, yeah, and, and the city, they have to close another $100 million budget gap this for the next fiscal year, and this is after several years of having to slash millions more out of the regular budget. So they're so they're. That's all they've been talking about. That's all they've been talking about is is you know are we going to have to lay off more cops? Are we going to have to uh, you know close certain departments? What city services are we going to save, and what do we have to cut? And then you turn around and approve a six percent pay increase for members of the city council, the mayor, the city auditor, and I think maybe the clerk and recorder. I'm not I'm not sure about that, but either way, it's not like you're you know pay, increasing pay for how much money are we talking about for this? Uh, I guess that it would increase the their amount of pay they are going they are currently making seventy eight thousand dollars a year members of the plus, city council plus thirty thousand dollars in, in like benefits, benefits which isn't a small amount. I mean, yeah. $78,000 a year. And, and of course, Denver is different than a lot of other municipalities where their city council and their mayor are actually considered part-time employees. And so in other places like Aurora, for example, the city council people might make uh, probably fifteen dollars or $20,000 a year because it's considered a part-time job. Yeah. And Denver is considered a full-time job. Denver is, of course, the biggest city in uh, the state of Colorado. But... The, I guess that's what kind of gave me pause because when I first saw this news story about the pay raise increase and that uh, Linkhart and Hancock had decided to vote for this. And Hancock I, first said that he, wa- he was not going to vote for it. he wasn't going to vote for it. And this had sort of been on the table for most of the um, last six months and, and people have been avoiding it, but then it came to a head. 
Hancock and Linkard voted for it. Boykin did. I, my reaction to that was I thought it took a great amount of political courage for Hancock and Linkard to vote for this, even though they and certainly everyone around them knew that this is this is p- political suicide even outside of an election year, but not even an election year where uh, you know you have uh, all these other candidates that are now going to point to this again and again in debates and everything else. You're saying. You people voted to give yourselves pay increases while the rest of the city is suffering. What you call political courage, I just call political stupidity. I mean, why would I mean why would it take courage to say I really want to give myself my colleagues more more money? The the argument for that is that that we do need to, as a society, be careful to give our elected leaders enough money so that the position is uh is something that people people qualified people will actually want to uh, engage in, and so you're not either. Having... But that, but that, but it doesn't. But so far, that hasn't been a problem. It's not as if there haven't been lots of people kind of running for city council, and I mean, literally these days, that much money, especially you know, yeah. in the recession, it's not as if like seventy eight thousand dollars plus thirty thousand dollars is just like chump change. Yeah, and th- and that is a point that a lot of people have made about why this is different than say giving pay increases to our. Uh, state senators and state representatives who only make about their salaries are about uh, 30000 to $33,000 yeah. a year. And again, those are considered part-time. So most of you know your state senator has some other job as like a bartender or a teacher or something like that, or they're retired. But that's also a pretty heavy job. And I've always thought, well, maybe we should try to find ways to increase that amount of money. Um, the Scott Gessler, Secretary of State, um, controversy earlier this year kind of brought that up too. I can't afford to raise a family on this money. That's why I need to take outside money. But and then there's a good argument. I mean, the idea that you you don't just want people who are just in a social, in a certain social, economic realm yeah. to run for yeah, the spots. Well, you want people. you want yeah. diversity. Yeah. You need that. You need to be. You need to pay them a paying wage. But seventy thousand. Seventy eight thousand dollars, especially here in Denver. Yeah, which is which is it's far, not New York City. Is, here. Yeah, and it's and and seventy eight thousand dollars a year is is far above the median income uh, among residents, which I think it might be certainly below fifty thousand dollars for individuals. So, uh, so why would they have done this? That's what I mean. Why would they have voted for this? I the the response that I've heard from Linkhart and Hancock, and they have been backpedaling a little bit from this in, in recent well, weeks. Well, duh. But <laughs> the response is well. This had always been an issue that we knew needed to get done. We knew that pay increases uh, had to occur, you know, years ago. And just because we're in the middle of a political race, we shouldn't allow these uh, political election considerations to get in the way of what is going to be a a necessary policy decision. Uh, And actually, the pay increases, I guess, they don't go into effect just yet. There's half of that is going to occur in the next fixed school year and then the next Part of it's going to occur, I think, in 2014. So it is it is further down the road. But, you know, political considerations, elections, if you're going to be that tone deaf to uh, those types of uh, considerations, those types of issues, then do you really deserve to be mayor? I mean, yeah. And I mean, honestly, I mean, it would be one thing if they were talking about something about, like, you know, putting political considerations aside for issues like paying city staff more or dealing with the city's huge problems with the schools that are cutting back left and right. You know, you know, gym classes are completely gone at most schools. You know, it'd be one thing to say, good job guys for putting aside political considerations to vote on relevant issues like that. This is just them 
voting to pay city council. Yeah. So, but how do you think that this is actually going to affect the layout of the mayor's race? Colorado polls, the Pino Gallardo over there was just completely aghast over this and was um, actually photoshopped a picture of Linkhart and Hancock's faces on the Titanic going down. Is this all of a sudden changed the game enough where we could be looking at Romer or Boygan? I mean, Romer's already the front runner. His biggest challenger was was looked at as Hancock. Is this going to knock Hancock enough out of the consideration to now where we're going to be looking at Mayor Romer? I mean, it's hard to say in part because this whole race has been so tepid. I think it's, you know, it's tricky to view such things from within the circle of the media because, I mean, we we are so focused on studying these things. I think the average person in Denver just, just hasn't been following the race because so far it's been completely boring. So the well, question is, will this so really even names, register? I mean, there's so many names involved yeah. with it now. The field, but none are really name brand names. You know, no, no one's talking these big, exciting ideas. I mean, so far it's kind of all been financial. So I mean, I just think the average person just hasn't been following it. So will this even register on well, the average I, person's radar? I mean, the average person might not be able to, or maybe doesn't even care enough about really dense policy issues to get involved in the weeds on that, but. What they do know is if they get a mailer sent to their house that says uh, Michael Hancock voted for pay increases while the city is trying to uh, slash budgets for maintenance workers and uh, firefighters, that right there is something everyone can pick up on. I mean, it's like a, it's like a pre-made attack ad that yeah. they just handed Chris Romer, who has already demonstrated himself to be uh, not beneath, let's just say, using any sort of uh, outlandish tactic to get attention for himself uh he's already been uh accused by hancock's people of uh employing an opposition research firm to dig up yeah. dirt on it well you're worried about him digging up some dirt to use in an attack ad but then you turn around and, and do a vote that is you know right there you just hand it to him on a silver platter yeah clearly right now romer comes out the best in this whole thing just because of just because he didn't have to deal with it because yeah, he's, he's not a city council yeah. um the question for me is, will people even care? So, oh, well, so there you we'll, go. We'll, we'll, we'll see about that. And Boring uh, mayor race, <laughs> yay. Well, not so boring has been the insane, mind-boggling, terrifying earthquake, tsunami, slash ongoing nuclear crisis in Japan at the Fukushima Daiichi plant in uh, the northeastern part of the country. And as that continues, and I've been kind of glued to the television set and learning a lot about uh, how steam-generated nuclear power is actually created. Uh, it's been a, a pretty amazing refreshing refresher course on that. But then the fallout from that has been people turning their attention to the domestic nuclear power program here in the United States and efforts to build more nuclear power plants. And the where this really erupted nation in the nationwide media was this controversy now in Pueblo, Colorado, uh, what what is that project, Joel, and what are what has been the backlash against that? Yeah, to me, it's it's almost funny because it seems like the worst timing possible for the guys going forward on this potential kind of plan down in Pueblo. Oh, clearly, for years they planned this this lawyer down there for his name, like yeah, um, I, I forget his name, but I mean this potential it's, 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 like it's, energy park. He guys didn't even have a developer. I mean, he wants to set aside this land. For this potential energy park, and they're dumbing—they're dumbing it a clean energy. Park. Yeah, so it's not so just so you have 
it's theoretically going to have uh, like a wind farm and solar farm, and then one part theoretically is going to have this nuclear, nuclear power plant. They've been planning this discussion for months. Uh, I guess uh, the planning staff recommended that this need move forward with allowing this, and it moved forward to like the final kind of go ahead. This past week, it was like what, like and, Monday or Tuesday. And they were having a hearing before the county commissioners, right? Yeah, and it was a zoning issue. Whether or and not the assumption there probably was going to be pretty small, and then everything happened in Japan. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I assume, was pretty darn. And then, out. and then, the, so they have this meeting. Japan is going on in the backdrop, and I think something like two hundred or three hundred, yeah, three hundred people show up to it, and they've been like three days of testimony. That they had to do because people kept coming on and on. There were folks uh, from the former Soviet Union coming and talking about Chernobyl. Like, Chernobyl. I mean, yeah. clearly this was the worst PR you could possibly so, imagine. So, so what's your take on it, Joel? Do you think people are overreacting or is this a very reasonable response to uh, uh, fears that are justified? Because if it could happen in Japan, even though the circumstances there are extraordinary – People have been looking at even our current nuclear power plants and saying, well, some of these exist along fault lines. There's no way that you can, you know, engineer complete 100% fail-proof safety. Are people are people going nuts or are they, uh, are they justified in trying to stop this thing? It's kind of funny. I was talking last night with a friend of mine who works for one of the environmental groups here in Colorado. And she was saying, actually some ways how good this is for them because for the past five years they've been really worried that they've been losing the nuclear kind of debate that more and more people have kind of embracing nuclear as a new clean power and now she's like it really feels different just a span of a week and it really does seem that way people you know i think you know um in like germany they're you know scaling back all these new potential power plants china has created a moratorium on theirs china of all places i mean so you know and i think nuclear power is a sort of technology that people have to think really critically of. You know, it can't just be bottom line. However, I mean, what's going on in Japan is a wholly unique phenomenon. Last time I checked, I don't think uh, Pueblo, Colorado, is that much of a risk of, say, a 30-meter tsunami. I mean, I, I could be wrong. But, I mean, so there's that thing. Plus, there's a discussion that if you look at the number of deaths from these different types of power plants, I mean, nuclear is really, really... Minimal. Yeah, they say that it's that it's statistically it's much safer in terms of uh, death and environmental damage than certainly coal-fired power plants, which there and are. Preblo just built this gigantic new yeah. coal power plant. This thing is massive, right? I mean, people weren't yes and yes, like the environmentalists complained about that, but you did not see the media just just backlash we've seen this week over this nuclear plant. Yeah, my take is that people should still take into account that when we see these types of disasters, what it does, you saw it with the BP oil spill, the Deepwater Horizon, it just is a huge spotlight on the difficult types of energy choices that we have to make in order to maintain the type of energy that we have. There is no real ultimate silver bullet for how we are going to meet our energy needs. People say, okay, solar, okay, wind. That is such a small portion of the amount of energy that uh is produced here in the at United least States, yeah right? at, at least, least so right far now. i mean and the transition while we the, what, what's going on in japan anyone who dismisses that and says that it shouldn't affect 
um, our plans for nuclear here in the United States is either um, you know being disingenuous or they're an idiot. I mean, anything like this, you you have to take pause and say we need to re-review uh, the projects that we have going forward in the wake of this, yeah. and either we're going to learn from it or and if the, the the risks are too great for these projects, then we need to make that decision. But then knowing that. You know, if we decide to not have nuclear, well, then we have to look somewhere else. Does that mean, well, less nuclear? Do we allow more coal-generated yeah. power plants to go forward? Or do we, or we do sacrifice kind of, yeah. other things? But, Natural gas. I mean, I mean, yeah, these are not simple solutions. In Pueblo, it, I think this might be kind of a, a death blow to this guy's project. Because if, it, if this thing all of a sudden gets stalled out in the regulatory process or the, um, the red tape is being thrown up in front of him in so many different ways. It, he just might say, well, and investors might say, this just isn't going to be cost effective for us. We're just going to have to find some other direction to go. Yeah. To me, I mean, I think you might be right that you know, this might do it for Pueblo in a part, because I think it's fascinating to see this kind of cultural shift. I mean, there's been a lot of talk this week about David Sroda's new book, which looks at like kind of how pop culture in the 1980s, what's called back to our future yep. kind of, kind of has kind of shaped our political viewpoints. And in some ways, you can look at nuclear the same way that, you know, the 1980s, you know, there was still this lingering kind of fear. Yeah, from Three Mile power. Island from yeah. the late 70s. And all these movies, you know, still kind of the mutation type thing. Mm-hmm. And you haven't seen that so much. You know, you, you don't see kind of the cultural kind of, kind of taboo around nuclear and radiation over the past few years. And the question is, will this now change? I, and I... Yeah, I think so. I mean, and, and a lot of it depends on what actually happens in Japan, and that's still a, an ongoing situation. How bad is this uh, possible meltdown going to be? But anyway, well, let, let's move on from uh, s- scary, uh, paranoid uh, possibilities in the future and talk about scary, paranoid possibilities occurring right now, namely Denver International Airport. And uh, this has been something that I've over the years come to develop a great fondness for the vast amount of conspiracy theories that swirl around the airport. And you have a website. I do. I, I have, I have, I'm, I have a secret blog that secret only, blog. only you, Joel, and the listeners to our podcast know I am the author oh, of. Wow. It's called the Dem- the DIA Conspiracy Files. It's a WordPress thing that I've just been maintaining as a way just to collect some of the Amazing, delicious. I assume you've made you've made you've made millions of dollars off this. Well, I haven't made millions of dollars off it, but I will tell you that that goddamn website gets more traffic and hits for something that I probably post to once every two months. Uh, people love delving into these conspiracy theories, but here's one that that even gave me pause. <laughs> okay, so this clip that I posted along with the the this blog was a. Uh, YouTube video that someone put together where they take this scene from the 1977 movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind and what this is is a military installation where they are receiving uh, signals from aliens and the uh, they are trying to figure out what these numbers mean. So here, let's take a listen. Excuse me. What letter is 104? Excuse me. Before I got paid to uh, speak French, I uh, I used to read maps. 
This first number is a longitude. Uh, yeah. Two sets of three numbers. Degrees, minutes, and seconds. And the first number has three digits, and the last two were below 60. Obviously, it's not in right ascension and declination on the sky. These have to be Earth coordinates. Ooh. Okay, and so what, what you didn't see, uh, because you were listening, but if you go and see this video, you can check out what it is, is this is a person pulls up Google Earth on their computer, puts in the numbers 104, 44, 30, 40, 36, and 10 into Google Earth, and then it automatically zooms into the center of Denver International Airport. Are you trying to say that Devil's Tower is actually based in Concourse A? I I don't I don't know Wait, what I'm trying to say. And in with the that. movie, those coordinates go to Devil's Tower. It doesn't really. I'm 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 massively confused. Okay, by this, this, this okay. This is where we just need to allow uh, our logic to just what we know from the facts. There's the movie, and they have these coordinates which are listed in the movie. Person says, okay, well, I'm going to put these coordinates into Google Earth here in 2011, uh, you know, however many years after this movie was made, and they pull up, and when you put those numbers in, they come up with Denver International Airport. That's all we know. So so clearly this means that DIA is really the the landing pad for the aliens in Close Encounters of a Third Kind, which, which, which theoretically would answer all of our questions about uh, – life in the solar system except for the fact that close to third kind is just is just a made-up fictional what movie it, what it means joel is that this <laughs> is just another totally weird and bizarre thing that a lot of people are buzzing about with denver national airport and of all the ones that i've seen this is definitely the weirdest like what a crazy coincidence how do you did you actually that? try it yourself did you actually i tried try it yourself and this is where it actually uh, like, are you sure this actually works? Th this is where it actually gets a little bit, uh, a little bit funky. A a apparently, it only it works differently for different versions of Google Earth. Sometimes, when I, I I downloaded the most recent version and plugged those numbers in, and it would alternatively take me to this farmhouse in Alt, Colorado, which is like fifty miles north of DIA. Dude, I've heard about that place. That place really is a UFO <laughs> land. Exciting. Or it takes me to Cancun, Mexico. Well, I want to then, go, but then go there's other way. times where it takes me to Denver International Airport. And my, my point <laughs> in the blog is that, you know, if this would have people would have plugged these numbers in and it was to take you to, say, Haight Ashbury in San Francisco, it would be sort of funny and you know, people might laugh it off and think it was a weird thing. But the fact that here's Denver International Airport, which has long had all of these and it didn't uh, exist when the movie came oh, out. Oh, no. It was, Denver National Airport was made in 1994. Okay, so clearly this means that all experiences are completely true. But here's my bigger question. Why hasn't DIA kind of leveraged this yet? I mean, they're throwing all of these millions of dollars on new construction. You know, they're trying to get more attention to the airport. Clearly, they should be playing up the fact that they are the heart of the Masonic UFO-centered takeover of the world. I mean, well, they people have, would want I, to fly there. As, as like a PR thing, I mean, they have tried to do something. They've posted little videos that have tried to debunk it, uh, tried to do things with, that they'll sort of acknowledge it, but not really. I think that they're in a very difficult position because they want to be taken seriously as a major international airport. And, and all you plug in DIA and you get the airport's website and you get a few other websites, but then the rest of it is all of these other websites, including mine, <laughs> which, which, uh, point out all of these weird conspiracy theories so anyway i just wanted to point that out okay 
as, so there a, you go. as another fun thing to bring up at your next cocktail party. Listeners, take from that what you will. Okay, well, uh, let us uh, keep going on, Joel. It's just the two of us this week, so our loves and hates will be relatively short, but what's yes. yours? Okay, this week I have kind of an oxymoronic love. I'm loving on New York Times new announcement that it's creating what's called like a pay fence or something where theoretically if you want to read more than 20 stories on the newspaper in a given month you have to pay starting at like 15 bucks and it goes up from there and this to me you know on one hand i don't necessarily love the uh the, the implementation of this in some ways i kind of hate that i do love the the discussion that this type of thing creates, and I do love the fact that it kind of challenges me. I mean, clearly I read more than, than 20 stories on NewYorkTimes.com. I don't have a physical uh, subscription, so I've got it for free. The question is now, do I get enough value month to month from New York Times to pay 15 bucks a month? And I really don't know. I mean, especially since this might be the first potentially valid attempt to monetize journalism the kind of stuff that we do i mean you know i've made you know i've criticized what the, the wall street journal and the financial times have done this because because in some ways i didn't have a personal stake i didn't read those things every month but this i do i don't know where i'm going to come down on it yet do you think you're gonna do you think you're gonna pony up i don't know i mean 15 bucks a month i mean that seems like a lot but the question is i mean you know I'm a reporter myself. I'm trying to figure out like how to continue doing this. Well, so I mean, do... from, but but as a consumer, does is it worth it for you? And I think that that's that's the question that everyone's waiting to see, and it won't really be answered until this thing goes up, and people all of a sudden encounter this paywall, yeah. and they aren't allowed to get this content for free anymore. Do you finally say, well, it's something that I value enough um, that I'm going to set set out this money, or is it going to push me and other potential viewers away? And then they're going to lose web advertising. I mean, I mean, there's there's a serious uh, risk and gamble here, you know, and it could blow up in their faces, and that could hurt us journalists, or it could pay off, and it could be, you know, a sign for the future. Yeah, I mean, their 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 web traffic numbers will certainly yeah. tank; they'll certainly go down. Yeah. But does that matter if they have enough people that are subscribing to yeah. it? Yeah, right? it's a big and question. I mean, so 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 while so while right now I might personally hate the concept of this, I love. The conversation it's created. Well, what, one thing that I found a little loophole quickly is that people are saying there's all these different levels of, to this pay fence. You can either just get 15 bucks to access it online. You pay another set amount of money if you want the iPad app, and then if you subscribe to the whole, if you subscribe to just the daily newspaper, then you get um, access to all those things thrown in. But if you subscribe just to the Sunday New York Times, you get um, you get the web access thrown in free. And it, and it Which actually is how much comes a month out. is it? I don't know. Okay. But I subscribe to the Sunday New York Times, and so I'm I'm going to try to look So I'm just going to piggyback off your subscriptions, by the way. Yeah. Okay, very yeah. good. Yeah, so we, yeah. we've already found a way. Anyone who wants to read New York Times, um, knock, on, knock on Jared's door. So my love this week is the uh, uh, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls. I'd never actually been to any of the uh, roller derby um, matches and, and contests that they have. This one was up at the... Last night was at the uh, First Bank, right? First Bank Center up in uh, up in Broomfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had gotten some really, really cheap tickets. I took uh, my my daughter there and uh, a friend and and her niece. And I have to say, it was like really 
entertaining. And I was really impressed with the athleticism of uh, some of these uh, women that are competing in this. I mean, it's it can be pretty brutal. Like some of the slams that I saw taking. I mean, it's it's uh, I was I could foresee you know uh, the the sheer amount of work that they have to do to um, the stamina for <laughs> knocking people out of the way and doing it all. So I, I was really stoked on it. The only thing that I wasn't excited about was. The actual full price tickets are like twenty two dollars for uh for a seat and that seems kind of a lot. That's I think that high. if they kept it under ten bucks or under fifteen bucks, they could get a lot more. And if they threw in a it. subscription to the New York Times online, that would help. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that'll be the next promotion. <laughs> all right, well that is all the uh talk and chatter we're gonna have for this week. Hopefully uh John Dicker will be back in full force for our next episode for uh John and I, Jared, thanks for listening, and we are out. We're in